Well, good evening, everyone. And uh, can I say just from just at the beginning, just how lovely it is to to have this opportunity again. And uh, it's great. I and I, I felt blessed myself last year in coming together and in sharing this most special and most important of weeks together uh, with us, Brookborough Methodist, and yourselves in Akave. It was a lovely experience, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do it again. Let's bow our heads, if you will, and uh, we'll pray. Lord God, in your presence, we find ourselves this evening. What a privilege. What a blessing. What an opportunity. We ask you to continue to speak to us and minister to us. And we ask for ears to hear and hearts that are open. And I pray, Lord God, that only your words would be heard. Amen. How I loathed it. Every year... It seemed to go wrong. I wished I could just throw it away, put it in the dustbin and walk away. But I couldn't because at each time this year I had a job to do. I may have been in a foreign country uh, across the seas. But around this time of year I was coming to the end of our six months of mission trip with with our young people. We would have been each year in a team and I was the coordinator. And while I loved some of the work I did, the pastoral role, the teaching, even the occasional preaching, there was one thing I really did not enjoy. Finance. Finance. Each year around this time, coming into April, I had to sit down and I had to do that most dreaded of tasks. Try to balance the books. And I was never very good at it. I don't think I'm very gifted at administration. And uh, it doesn't come natural. And no matter how hard I tried. And no matter how much I thought I was keeping good records. Every year I had the same problem. You know what it is. Any of you who try to do the same job. The the figures in the left-hand column just did not add up to the figures in the right-hand column. And I would look at it and I would scratch my head and I would wonder, how did this happen? And of course, there was only one thing to do. I had to go back and I had to look for any problems. What had I not taken note of? What had I got wrong? This Monday, as we begin another Holy Week together, we're trying to do something slightly different, as Gary explained at the beginning of the service. At previous years, we we have, in a sense, tried to, to lead up to the cross. We've thought about the people of the cross. 
We have thought then last year about the words from the cross and the things that bring them together. Cross words. But this year, we do something slightly different. Because we really begin with the cross. We don't try to lead up to it. We begin at the cross. And in some ways, we try to use the cross, or at least this is how I imagine it. I don't know if it works for you. But we try to use the cross as a lens or a window through which we look to see what Christ has done for us through it. The cross is a sort of prism that we hold up to the light and it breaks the the white light into the many colors of the rainbow. And we see the variety, the big picture, the multicolored picture of what God has done for us through the work of Jesus. This year we look forward. But you know, even as I say that, and even as I wrote it in preparation, I knew that we can't look forward without looking back. Because even to consider our first purpose of the cross, reconciliation, and that is our theme for this evening, reconciliation, being restored to a right relationship with God. We have to look over our shoulder. For if something or someone needs to be reconciled, then just like the books in my accounting, there has to be a problem. If you don't see a problem, then there's no need for reconciliation. If the things add up and people are getting on well and there's no separation, there's no difference, then there's no need for reconciliation. If we've ever doubted the utter darkness, the deep seriousness of sin, then this evening, here again, that couple of verses from Matthew's Gospel. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli! Lama Sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we have recorded here in Matthew's Gospel and the other Gospels isn't just a coincidence or a natural phenomenon. What, rather, it's a powerful physical expression of the deep darkness the problem of sin that selfishness and rebellion that exists within human beings all human beings save one that one human being who was fully human yet also fully God who was now even as he called out these words Voluntarily giving himself over to death as our perfect representative. 
Jesus accepting forsakenness. Separation. So that you and I didn't have to experience it. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabatamai. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, as we begin to think about reconciliation this evening, considering what Jesus has done for us, what it really means, the depths of it, we have to begin with the suffering Savior. Until we remember with bowed heads and humbled hearts the lostness of humanity without God, our sinfulness, our separation. A separation that leads us inexorably, there's a strange word, inexorably, towards judgment and death. Until we remember that and we, in a sense, feel it again. Reconciliation really won't make any sense. If I was to ask you this evening, what is your favorite piece of scripture? Well, I don't know. You might have something immediately pop into your mind, or maybe you'd like time to think about it. And if you were to ask me on any given day, I might give you a different answer, depending on what's going on, and depending on what I'm reading, and depending on what's happening in the family, and all sorts of things. But do you know the truth? In general, If there was one little story, one little portion of scripture that I would probably say was my favorite. It would be the story of the lost sons, plural. Or as we usually call it, the prodigal son. The lost sons because when you read it you'll find, of course... That the older son, the one who stays at home, is just as lost as the younger one who goes away. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Sometimes I think when we hear this story we miss a vital important point. Because we so quickly gravitate towards thinking about the reckless living. We begin to think about, oh what was he up to? What did he waste his money on, that young scoundrel? What was he doing? But if we jump there too soon, we miss a very important thing. Because the way he squandered and wasted his money was a symptom of his problem. Rather than the foundation of it. Because his problem at its heart lay in his selfishness. And his separation from his father. Yes, a physical separation. But even before that. A separation in heart. And that's why I say the older son was just as separated. 
He didn't know his dad any, any better than the younger one did. As we think about this Holy Week, I think it's good to start with reconciliation. Because the truth is that every blessing we receive from God, every blessing that comes through the cross, isn't a sort of box that is, is like a Christmas present which we unwrap. Oh, and there in, in it is a sort of measure of peace. Or a certain amount of forgiveness. Or maybe a, a, little bit of, a little bit of freedom. No, God doesn't offer us a little cup of forgiveness like that. As if he sort of asks us to drink it and we receive it like that. Or a big bottle of victory. Or any of the other things that we're going to look at through this week. No, the utterly amazing thing. And I I struggle to get my head around this. The utterly amazing thing is that God's prime gift to us. Isn't a little bit of this or a little bit of that. No matter how good they are. God's most important gift to us is himself. God gives us himself. In Christ As Paul would say so often in his letters. When we come to faith and trust in Christ. All the other things happen. Peace, security, joy. All of those things come through a relationship with Jesus. With reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. God, like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Longs for you and for me to come home. He wants us to be with him. To be reconciled to him. That's where he devised, he initiated a rescue plan. Reconciliation began with God. It's God who like the father of the prodigal. Sees his disobedient, defeated child in the distance. Still a long way off if you read the story. And forgetting all his dignity. All his respectability. He runs. To embrace him. Uh, Now I may have said this before but living in India for a while. I know that uh, people in that culture and people in Jesus' time too. They didn't run. No father worth his salt run to anybody. You had to run to them. It would be a little bit like the Her Majesty the Queen pulling up her skirts and running to meet us. That's not the way it's meant to work. But that's the way God does it. God runs to embrace us. And he does so at a huge cost to himself. When I was young, I loved Saturdays. I loved Saturdays. Saturdays were great when I was young because often I stayed with my gran. That was a good thing because often she, she made me what I wanted for breakfast. Ulster fry. That always worked. Down, went down well. My mum would make me make my own breakfast. There we go. I would get a lie in. Grands are good like that. Wouldn't disturb me. And then she would let me watch... 
children's TV. Now I'm going back a little and most of you might not remember this. But I'm thinking of a programme on BBC called Swap Shop. Anyone remember Swap Shop? A few of you remember Swap Shop. Gary doesn't, he's too young. (laughs) For Gary and for those of you who don't know what Swap Shop it was, it was hosted by Noel Edmonds. I hear he does still something on television. I don't know what it is, but uh, he's still quite popular, isn't he? And the basic idea was this. There was lots of fun and games, but they encouraged children to ring in. And what you had to do was you ring in and you said, I've got something to swap. I've got an action man and I want a football. I've got a jigsaw and I want a model aeroplane. Children rang in with what they had and what they wanted. And they tried to arrange swaps. Great idea, I thought at the time. Brilliant idea. If only we could do that now. Especially after Christmas. Especially after all those gifts are bought. And you think, "Mm, what am I going to do with that? Most of the time on Swap Shop, the gifts, the swapping made sense. You know, I've got a jigsaw and I'm going to swap it with something roughly of the same value. But occasionally, there would be some wise person coming in who would ring in. You know, some little lad maybe, who really was either too smart for his own good, or really wasn't up to speed with with what was likely to happen. And would ring up and say, I have this little toy, and it's half broken, but I'd like a bicycle. Thank you very much. And you would scratch your head as you watched the television and thought, yes, unlikely. Because some swaps just don't make any sense, do they? This evening in our passage from Corinthians, we hear of the most scandalous, most amazing exchange swap that there ever has been. 2 Corinthians tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What about that for a swap? You can have my righteousness. I'll take your guilt. Sin. And condemnation. That's the price of reconciliation. And that's the amazing truth of the gospel. That's what reconciliation's about. Jesus opening up the way for us to have a relationship with God. A proper relationship. A forgiven relationship. A right relationship. Jesus who did no wrong Jesus who was perfect in purity would take our punishment so that as our passage tells us from the gospels the temple curtain was torn in two that visible symbol of God's separation from humanity torn, ripped in two 
A way made open. A way back to God. Because of what Jesus did. Our representative. Our substitute. Our reconciler. Don't get confused about this this evening. God wants to be reconciled with each and every one of us. He doesn't just want to forgive us. Or just even grant us just eternal life. As important as that is. No, the gospel is even bigger than that. God wants us to have a right relationship with him. A real relationship with him through Jesus. And if that doesn't shake you to your very core, then we probably haven't thought about it enough. That the perfect, immeasurable God, the God who is holy, the God who we can stand and talk about all night and we never do justice to, that he wants to be your friend. Yes, your Lord, but also your friend and your King. He wants a right relationship with you. I don't know about you, but I'm always nervous when I'm sitting in a taxi or even when I'm driving and I'm going to the airport. Because no matter what I do, no matter how hard I've prepared, the little thought always pops into my head. Have you got your passport? Have you locked the door? Have you close the windows have you got everything you need have you packed everything have you got your ticket and then I go again for the fourth time to my jacket to to pull it out and go oh yes I have my ticket and then I usually put it in a different pocket so that when I get to the airport I, I go I've lost my ticket And finally, after pulling my hair out for five minutes and wandering around, ailing, my wife will go, calm down. Have you searched every pocket? And yes, I'll find it in the pocket I thought I'd never put it in. There was a time when I thought the gospel was all about a ticket for heaven. Heaven's a wonderful place. I'm looking forward to going. I'm sure you are too. But that's not the full extent of the gospel. Because as our passage reminds us this evening, God wants a relationship with us in the here and now, not just in eternity, not just in the pearly gate, through the pearly gates and in the mansions above. God wants a relationship with you and me in the present. Now. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation, Paul writes. God wants us to be close to him now. Not just in the future, now. He wants us to be reconciled and to be close. So this evening, as Paul himself wrote, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If this evening you're sitting and you've got any doubt that you've ever really come to that place of the cross, 
then hear the invitation again tonight. Come. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't be deceived. God hasn't reluctantly left a few spare tickets for heaven under the mat. And if we're sort of good enough, we might just grab one and get by him without him really noticing. No, he is the father who runs to embrace us. If we're taking half a step to him, he's already taken more than a dozen towards us. God wants to be reconciled with us. And if we are not sure we have done that, then we can do it tonight. We simply have to ask, and Jesus will come. It's not Dowler's. It's certainly not S.D. Kells. But I have on occasion been to Argus. I know you're beginning, to, you're beginning to look at me already, aren't you? Think, oh, shops in Argus, don't know about him. <laughs> Argus. Yes, I've been to Argus. And you know what? I found it mostly quite helpful. I've got my little ticket out. And I've filled in my little number. And I've went up to the counter and I've always found them very helpful. The girl, it's usually a girl, but or a woman behind the, behind the till, she usually smiles and asks me, as, as I'm sure, and, and yes, of course, she asks me, do I want batteries for that? Or do I want to take out payment protection? Or, and of course, and I have to smile sweetly and say, no, thank you. But generally, she's very nice. She treats me very well. She's been trained, I hope. And how to, to relate to customers. And maybe she's one of the ones who when she joined the company they thought, oh yes, it's got that sort of personality. We'll put her on the tills. Of course there's other people who work for Argus. You see them occasionally, don't you? They kind of venture out from the dark recesses of the warehouse. And they're not dressed quite as well. Immaculately, as their, as their colleagues behind the till. They kind of come out like this. And they're not really, they don't really see you most of the time. They come out with a package and really all they're concerned with is throwing it onto the thing and getting back into the warehouse as soon as they can. I hope there's no one who works in the warehouse now. <laughs> if, if so, I'm, I'll, I'm very sorry. <laughs> The point is this though, in our companies and in, our, in, in all of our establishments, of course, there's a separation, isn't there? Those who, who have the right talents and the right training, those who look the most presentable, are put as the public face of the company. Where those who haven't quite been gone through the same training and maybe haven't quite got the same Skills or personality. They work in the warehouse, don't they? Nobody's going to mind them working in the warehouse. But here's the thing this, tonight. As we think of reconciliation, one final point is this. 
Paul tells the Corinthians. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. The Christian church isn't Argus. There are no real warehouse positions. We might like it if there were. We might like it if we were the sort of ones who we didn't really have to be known as a Christian. We could kind of do the job in the background and nobody would really, they would look to those at the front and think, oh, that's good. That's what a Christian looks like. And we could relax. And it is true that Paul is speaking about himself and his fellow workers at this point. But I think we can extend what he's saying to us. We are all ambassadors for Christ when we come to know him. If that again shakes you to your core and makes you think, oh, I can't do that. Well, then you're in good good company because I think that every day too. That's what brings me to my knees and brings me to the place of imploring and praying and saying to God, God, help me because I'm not good enough to do that. To be your ambassador, to be your face, to be the one who others look to and say, that's a Christian. That's what being a Christian should look like. What a challenge. But that's the challenge that if you're a Christian tonight, God has for you as well as me. That you represent them where you are. On your farm. In your workplace. In your neighborhood. As you go into the shops. When all is said and done. If someone was to ask me. What's the most important thing. I would say. My relationships. My relationship with God. My relationship with my family and friends. My relationship with others. This evening. Tonight. Here's the good news. To hold on to. As we leave this place later. God feels the same. Relationships. That's what's most important to him. And here's the thing. He wants a relationship with you. Let's pray. Lord God, there was no none other good enough to take the burden of sin. There was no other perfect and righteous. There was no other willing to give himself in my stead, in our stead. Lord God, forgive us when we distill 
and shrink the gospel down to just being forgiven. As important as that is. Help us not to be satisfied with a small picture of what you have done for us. But help us, Lord God, to yearn, to desire, to hunger for a close, real, living, daily relationship with you. A relationship that leads us each day. To ask ourselves the question. What would Jesus do in this situation? And Lord as we pray. That you would stir our hearts and touch us again with your love. So we ask. That those of us who know you. Would be so filled with your spirit. That we would be good ambassadors. For our Lord and Saviour and friend. Amen.